Well, good morning and welcome. It's great to hear some Pink Floyd in church this morning, isn't it? And you know, we, uh, we actually plan these services like six months in advance, and it's going to feel like this message is ripped from the headlines when you think of what has happened in the stock market this week and the level of fear and anxiety that people are experiencing. We're talking this series, Cornered, how do we set margin in our life for family, for faith, and for finances? We've looked at these three different buckets of money, energy, and time, and how we manage those things for the challenges before us. So let's begin by, let me tell you a story. Imagine you've just bought a house that you're going to do a little remodeling in. In this particular house, the previous owner was a big fan of cows. Oh my goodness. There's cow wallpaper everywhere. And, and you, you hire an interior decorator who said, listen, there's a particular type of paint that can go over the wallpaper so you don't have to you know, take it all down. But it's a very specific color they think is going to look good with your remodel. And it's called you know, ruby red. And they only have seven gallons left. So we've got to be really, really careful to use it judiciously because we can't buy any more. It was a limited supply. Well, you decide, because you enjoy painting, unlike me, but you love painting. It's a fun thing for you to do. So you decide to paint the room yourself. But you know that you have a tendency to overpaint some areas and not paint other areas. And you have a tendency to get to the end, and you're going to need a little extra for the edging or some, some spots. So you decide on a strategy. And you grab the first bucket of paint, and instead of pouring it all into the tray, you start by pouring like 20% of the paint into a bucket. And then the rest of it, you pour into the paint tray, and sure enough, you start rolling along, and you start painting. And you start the coverage. And sure enough, you realize, whew, this might be a two-coater in order to cover up all the cows. So sure enough, you go to the second paint can, you start painting, and you do the same thing. So I'm going to put about 20% into some reserves, and then you pour the rest in, and you start painting. And you continue that pattern. Sure enough, 20% gets poured in. The rest you use to paint the room. You want to make sure you take care of all those cows. And sure enough, as you continue that pattern, things just continue to, you know, move along. And as you're moving along, uh, some, your, your wife comes in and says, why do you keep pouring that 20% into reserves? That's utterly ridiculous. You know, and you're like, well, now it may sound utterly ridiculous, but it's not. This is really going to be worthwhile because I know myself and I know I have this tendency to overcome come some areas, overcoat them, and undercoat some others. So sure enough, you do that with all seven, and you pour in the last one and into your paint, uh, paint tray, and you continue painting. Well, you paint the rest of the day, you paint the rest of the evening, and sure enough, you get done. And you're completely done, and unlike this wall, you know, it looks beautiful. It's all covered, but there's a few spots. Wow, I wish I had some more paint. I wish I could just dab a little bit more in the, on the crown molding up here right before the edging. And I wish I could cover this particular cow a little bit better. And you're so thankful that instead of trying to scrape a little bit out of each paint can, instead you're able to look over at this reserve and say, thank goodness, by just taking 20% out of each one of those little cans, I've got over a gallon and a half of reserve. And that gallon and a half of reserve allows you to not just barely get the little areas, but to have plenty left over for the coverage and the pace. Now that parable is going to speak to the passage of the Bible we speak on today. But here's the principle. If you will set aside a portion of paint 
If you'll do that, then you won't end up cornered in life by either the pace you have to keep up to do everything all the time or the amount of coverage you need trying to cover a thousand different responsibilities. Setting aside a portion of paint financially so that you're not covered up by all the things you're trying to do, there's some margin. Setting aside a portion of paint in your energy so you have some energy left over for your family. Setting aside a portion of paint for your time so you have time for things that fill you back up rather than just always take from you. Set aside a portion of paint so you don't end up cornered by either your pace of life or the amount of things you're trying to cover. I'll give you two examples of this. I had a friend camp to me about five or six years ago. Business is doing incredibly well. In fact, he had, was really excited about this building project. So one of these conversations was about 10 years ago when we were raising money for this building. He said, Chad, we're making a big gift to the building. I'm a regular giver to the church as well. I'm just so excited about the way God has grown me and grown my family. He said, well, as I look to the next five, 10 years, I don't want to work quite as hard at, at the pace I've been working. So I've decided to downsize. I live in Indian Hill, and I'm just going to downsize to a smaller place in Indian Hill. Because I'd like the idea of maybe only working four days a week rather than five or three days a week versus uh, six. He said, I am amazed at the pressure I am getting from my immediate family. So tell me about that. He said, well, it's my parents are telling me, don't do that. People will think your business is, is having a problem. He said, well, my business isn't having a problem. Yeah, but they'll think it is if you downsize. But it's not having a problem, and I'm downsizing, so I have a little bit more margin in my spending so that I don't have to spend so much time and energy on business. I, I like a little more freedom. Oh, and the pressure from a successful person trying to set aside some time, energy, and money reserves from his family was keeping him from engaging. Another story. I had a guy came up to me recently, and he shared that same thing, he's in this cutthroat business that you bring in a couple million dollar contract and you can get fired the next day because somebody brought in a couple million plus level contract. And the pressure, it's fun, it's great to win, it's highly competitive, he enjoys it, but the anxiety is killing him. He said, but you know what? When we sit down and we talk as a family, we're not willing to decrease the things we're committed to. We don't want to give up the country club memberships. We don't give up the lifestyle type of vacations. And so even though I'm living in constant anxiety, I'm not willing to make the decisions needed so that I can put 20% of my time, energy, or money into reserves. Today I want to give you two principles from the Bible to help you with that. And then we're going to teach each other how to have a cow! And how having a cow can help you set aside a portion of paint. Our first principle is we need to set aside a portion of paint, our time, energy, and money, by not presuming upon tomorrow's prosperity. When you think that your salary will always go up and you make decisions that it will always go up, you're setting yourself up for no margin. When you assume stocks will always go up, and you know the financial advisor said, if you're going to be this risky long-term, it can go down 10 to 30%. And you're like, yeah, 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 no, it won't. And then a week like this happens, and you're panicked, right? Because you presumed upon tomorrow's prosperity based on the mortgage you did, the, the double houses that you bought, whatever it is, you presumed upon stocks always go up, salaries always go up, and housing always goes up. And all of a sudden there's a blip or a season and you're panicked because you didn't set aside the energy, the time, or the money needed because you presumed it's always good. 
So in the Bible is a man named Pharaoh. He is in charge of Egypt. And he has had a dream. And this dream has filled him with fear. And as he's been totally anxious about the dream, no one can interpret his dream except for a Jewish slave that's been imprisoned, a man named Joseph, a son of Israel or Jacob. They pull him out of prison because he's known for interpreting dreams. And here's the conversation he has with the Pharaoh. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. I don't interpret dreams, but the God who's with me will give you an answer of peace. I want to bring peace to your fear. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows, big fat cows, came up out of the river. They were fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadows. And what he goes on to tell him is that God is telling you that for the next seven years, it's going to be awesome. Awesome years of prosperity. You have more time than you've ever had. You have more ability to make money than you've ever had. It's going to be high on the hog. Big cow kind of years coming. But don't presume that it's always big cow times. I think that's what we do. We get to the second portion of the dream, we'll see that. The reason we need to set aside a portion of paint is because we don't want to presume that it's always up, always up, always up. And so all of our decisions financially and energy-wise are based on that. You've had this with the project, right? We're just going to remodel the kitchen. Let's just paint the kitchen. Well, as long as we're going to paint the kitchen, we might as well. Hey, we got money coming in. We got time and energy. Let's go ahead and paint the whole first floor. Well, as long as the painter's here, why not do the whole house? Well, as long as we're going to do the first house, might as well paint the house down in Naples and the Michigan Lake House as well. And you say, well, Chad, Chad, maybe that's a problem for you. I've got plenty of money in the bucket. Maybe. But every financial commitment comes with time and energy commitment. You've got to manage all those properties. You've got to manage all the people painting. You've got to put energy into, well, so-and-so didn't show up and such-and-such didn't work out the way we want. Oh, we decided to make a change. We need your input on it, right? So even if you happen to have reserves in your financial bucket, did you presume upon tomorrow's prosperity in your energy bucket and your time budget? I had a friend who was a pastor of mine 25 years ago shared with me three different buckets, three ways to think about your money and your time, your prime time, your grind time, and your downtime. Think about that with time, energy, and money. There are certain times of the day, for example, that might be your prime time. I mean, you work so much better in the morning, or you're not a morning person like me. You work so well between 9 and midnight. Imagine if you took your prime time, when you do your best work, your most creative work, your most rewarding work, what if you expanded your prime time by 20%? What if you put the most important things you have to work on into your prime time? And what if financially you said, you know what, I'm in my prime income earning years. I could retire early, but maybe it'd be worth putting a little bit more time during my prime money-making years into putting a little bit more reserve in, just in case. I don't want to presume upon tomorrow's prosperity, and I'm going to use my prime time to increase the amount of money I make and increase the money I serve or, or I, I save so that I can give more, so that I can have more flexibility. And what if there are other times in your schedule that's your grind time? It's not best work. It's not creative work. It's not most important work. You just got to grind through it. As portions of your day, you just grind through some things. There's parts of your budget. You're just grinding through some things. Just get that stuff done. 
But you want to make sure that your prime money goes to prime priorities. Your prime energy goes to prime priorities. Your prime time goes to prime priorities. You're going to need this bucket having some paint in it. And to do that, you're going to have to hold back some reserves. Set aside a portion of paint in order to do that by not presuming upon tomorrow's prosperity. The second thing, though, is not to presume upon, uh, to set aside some paint by planning for tomorrow's tragedies. Because after this dream begins, there's a second part of the dream. And this is the part of the dream that scared the Pharaoh to death. Seven fat cows enjoying the meadow, chewing the cud. That was a good part of the dream. He goes on to tell Joseph this. After the seven good years, go ahead and put it on the screen, behold, seven other cows showed up. And they came up after them, the good cows. And they were poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness I've never seen in the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven. Just imagine the river Nile. Seven scrawny, ugly cows. Come out of the river. And there's all these wonderful seven cows here. And the ugly cow comes up. Doesn't look like it's eaten in years. And this cow comes up and eats the big cow. And these seven ugly cows swallow up the seven fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them. For they were just as ugly at the beginning. And I woke up and I was terrified. What does this mean? The reason we need to set aside a portion of paint for our time, energy, and money is because you can't presume there's never going to be tragedy in your life. The potential that not only will things not always be good, that bad things might happen, makes you a wise planner. And wise people prepare for sick, ugly cows in your life. I mean, imagine if I fast forward you three to seven years. So we're seven years in the future, and you see some circumstances that are going to happen to you, and you grab a flux capacitor, you jump into the DeLorean, and you go back, 1.21 gigawatts, and you, you come back to talk to you now. Say, listen, listen, listen. In the next three to seven years... There's some things we need to plan for. Things are good. But in the next three to seven years, there's going to be a time that your, your salary is going to go down 20% because of some things going on in the economy. And it's sustainable. Let's just plan for that now during the fat cow years. When we get to the difficult years, we'll be ready. And two, you say, hey, let's have a little bit more margin because you're getting close to retirement. As you get close to that, wouldn't it be great to be able to take a job that is very, very significant. And you're going to move from success to significance. And you're going to take a pay cake, not because you can't make more money, because you want to make your, your skills available to some nonprofit, some organization who couldn't afford you. But three to five years from now, you're going to want to take that opportunity to do something incredibly significant. So plan now by putting a little bit more in reserve, maybe not buying that lake house, maybe not remodeling the whole thing, maybe not making the finishes as high as you want, so that there's a little more margin to have some freedom for choices. Or maybe you come back in that flux capacitor and you say, you never would have seen it coming. But three years from now, there's going to be a health crisis for you, your son, your mom. And it's going to suck an amount of time, energy, and money from you you never could have predicted. And so I want you to start presuming now, two years, three years, seven years in advance, how to put reserves in place so that when that medical thing happens, you'll be prepared. 
Maybe it's more disability insurance. Maybe it's more insurance. Maybe it's a car shield or a house shield to protect against things breaking down. But you would tell you not to presume upon tomorrow's prosperity and to plan for tomorrow's tragedy. Or on the good side, you say, next three to seven years, put a little extra away. Things are going to go great financially, but you'd like to have a little extra because God's going to prompt you to give to this thing, and it's going to be the love of your life. Your chance to be part of this nonprofit, this charity, to, to go on a, a, give a week of vacation to go down to Belize and to teach doctors how to, how, to, how to do procedures they'd never seen before or to help a team of doctors who are, are, are going to do part of that. Or to start something you've always dreamed about now that you're in a phase, you have a little bit more time. So create a little bit more financial margin now so that when the opportunities come your way, you can do that. Maybe think same is true. You want to be able to look in your bucket and say, look, there's, there's some time left over. There's some energy left over, some money left over. Maybe you've been coming to Horizon for a few years. And you've seen other people who provided for this place and provided for, the, for the, the funds that run this place and for this building. And you say, you know, I've never really given significantly in that way. And you know what? I'm a giver, but I've never really given to Horizon or to God's work here. But I want to pour some of that out and have some more reserve so that I can be financially part of saying thanks to God for the way he's growing me and growing my family. Or maybe you look to the future and say, I don't know what God's doing, but I know my energy-wise, a lot of people have served me, served my kids or my students in, in a, in, at Horizon. Maybe I could be somebody who greets somebody at the door. Or I could be somebody who builds community and helps put some things together. I financially want to help support that. You would come back from three to seven years from now and say, my goodness, you're going to want to spend some extra time going down to City Gospel on Fridays. You can't imagine. It's going to be something you look forward to. Given a week of vacation to help give surgeries to people or help facilitate surgeries for people or village clinic for people who can never afford it. It's going to be something you look forward to, but you've got to have some extra time, energy, and money set aside now to do it. You can't always presume that it's always up. The Kansas City uh, chief CEO, Clark Hunt, was interviewed. 30 years not winning a Super Bowl. And when they won, he said things like, we sure feel lucky, and we sure feel blessed, and we think we got a great quarterback, and we think this will be one of many Super Bowls. But we're not building our budget on the presumption that we're going to win the next Super Bowls, right? We're hoping, we're working. He said, my dad started this team with hopes of winning a Super Bowl. I'm so excited to be part of a legacy my dad looked forward to. But he said, but my identity is anchored in Christ. So when you don't win the Super Bowl for 30 years, you're not anchored into whether or not you're a Super Bowl champion. And when you do win the Super Bowl, you're not anchored. You can enjoy it, but you're not defined by it. And when you don't win, you can work toward it, but not be defined by not doing it. He said, my identity is in Christ. That's his secret. And when you put God at the center of your life, when you put Jesus Christ at the center of your life and his grace... It keeps you from overspending, from oversaving, and overgiving. How? Well, start with the, the weird one, overgiving. You can give for the wrong reasons. You can give to have your names on buildings, and there's nothing wrong with having your name on a building. But if that's your motivation, you're really giving so that you get something out of it. Or you give so that you have a reputation of being a giver. When God's the center of your life, you say, God's given me everything I have. I sure am blessed. I sure am lucky. I now want to give, not because I'm earning favor with God to get into heaven, not because I, I need something from someone I'm giving to. I can finally give freely 
I can give with no agenda because I have everything I need anchored in God. So now I give with the right motives and I give the right amount. Savings. Savings is important, but there is no number that will ever make you feel fully secure. And I promise you this, whatever number you set 10 years ago, you may have, made, you may have achieved that goal. And you're like, mm, maybe that's not enough. Well, actually, last week I felt like it was enough, but after this week's stock market, I'm not sure if it is, right? When, when, when you're anchored in God, you say, God is my security. I do want to save wisely for retirement, for college, for, for opportunities, but I'm not defined by a number in my savings account. I'm anchored in who God is. You don't overspend because you start saying, it's not really my money. God's entrusted me his money, and I want to spend his money in a way that is wise. And so the idea of having God in the center of your life, as Clark said, it helps you think about your life resources, time, energy, and money, in a wise way. And when you do that, you're able to have a cow. So let me give you three principles that we're going to take away today. How to have a cow. Three things about having a cow. The cow principle for life when it comes to money. C, count on, when you think about your use of money and your decision making, count on good cows and count on bad cows. Again, look what Joseph and Pharaoh say. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. These go together. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven good cows are seven years. Seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. Seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. And it goes on. And it says, But after them are going to be seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land of resources. So you better have some reserves. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following. It will be very severe. Count on good years and bad years. Doesn't your financial advisor say that? You know, over the long term, we'll be fine. Look at this as a buying opportunity. Plan your spending. Plan your giving. Plan your life around counting on. Just count on there's going to be good cow years and there's going to be bad cow years. I tell you a guy who's doing that fascinating. is a Jets linebacker. I name of Brandon Copeland. He makes $1.75 million a year, but he lives like he only makes 200000 You might say, well, it might be nice if I had that salary. The proportion's the same. Here's a guy living on less than 15% of his income. And look at the reason why. He was a president of the uh, Christian Athletes Association in college, so faith is driving him. But look at what he said. I need to be maximizing every single day I have in the NFL. It's guaranteed that football is going to be over one day. I can't presume I'm going to always make this kind of money. Nearly 60% of Copeland's post-tax salary goes toward, quote, safe, long-term investments, he explained. After 30% goes toward savings, he lives off 10 to 15%. Now, you might say, there's no way I'm going to live off 15%. Here's my point. He is planning on good cow years and bad cow years. In fact, did you know in the off-season... In the off-season, he goes and he works at UBS and Wall Street to get a part-time job. So when his 1.75 million NFL career is over, he's prepared for the next career. Really? Yeah. Because he knows, I can't remember, I'm going to make up the statistic, but it's pretty high. Like 80% of those in the NFL end up bankrupt because the season is so small, they spend far more than they make, and it doesn't last. 
So here's a guy counting on, with a huge salary, good years and bad cow years, by preparing for the future. What would it look like for you to do the same? To count on good cow years and bad cow years in the way you make decisions about time, energy, and money. Oh, what if you organized your life around the idea of trying to have 20% margin? Say, Chad, that's ridiculous. Okay, let's just imagine though. What would it be like if you had just a bucket full of 20% of your time, you could say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Like, that is a pipe dream. Okay, well then, what if you had 1%? You're like, if I got the 1%, it would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice to have 1%, 2%, 5% of your time to go, wow, I've actually got some free time, some think time, some thoughtful time. The same thing's true of your energy, and the same thing is true of your money. Wouldn't it be nice with 20% margin to say, what, what else could we do? Who could we bless? Who could we contact? What else might we want to be part of? Here's what, here's what Joseph says. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth, 20% of the produce of the land during the seven plentiful years. So let's, like these buckets, seven years, we're going to dump out one-fifth, 20% of them into a reserve tank of seed. And for 20 years during the seven good years, we're going to prepare for the bad cow years by having a reserve that we can use when things get tough. That's exactly what he did. 20%. And let them gather all the food during those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities that the food will be a reserve. So that's Joseph's advice. You fast forward 14 years later, and it works incredibly. But Pharaoh kind of tweaks it a little bit more, and he ends up using it as a the massive Egyptian power grab and takes all the people's private property. Which brings up the question, did Joseph set up a government takeover of Egypt? Or was this wise, godly counsel? See, Christians aren't elephants, and we aren't donkeys, but we are lions. And God roars these principles that we've got to kind of figure out. And one of the questions with Joseph is, what is Joseph doing? Because Christians basically believe that individuals are eternal. Every human being lives forever. And the state, governments, pharaohs, dynasties, only last a few hundred, a few thousand years. So a Christian worldview, C.S. Lewis says, is that the, the individual is not only more important than the state, he's incomparably more important than the state. So the role of the state is to protect individual rights, like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, private property. So what's going on here with Joseph? I did a 30-minute talk on this a couple years ago. So many of you know we have an app where you can go back in time and look at some of our old messages. So if you pull up our app, download it at horizonspacecc.com, you can actually click on past messages, go to the keyword search, type in tyrant or Joseph the tyrant, and you'll see a verse-by-verse study we did called the Code of Many Colors. I did 30 minutes asking the question, was Joseph a tyrant? I don't have time to explain all that today, but if you want to pull that up and maybe go through the entire life of Joseph today, that might be something you can use. But let me give you the bullet points. Because I think what Joseph did was not a tyrant, but Pharaoh ended up using it in that way. Here's a couple bullet points to understand maybe what Joseph was doing here. Number one, the people only had a 20% tax on them uh, later on during those seven years. The government handled all the expenses, kind of like a renter's agreement with the landlord handles all major expenses. That's pretty much what Joseph was, was putting in place. Egypt was much freer than nearby countries on Joseph's leadership. Mesopotamia and the surrounding area had a 40 to 60% tax. Three, the Egyptians suggested these initiatives, 
the ones that took over the property, not Joseph, and he kept the Hebrews free of Goshen. Four, his plan saved a nation in crisis. And five, he gave seed back to the people at the end of the famine so they could work back toward independence. But again, I spent 30 minutes, and if that's something you just want to dialogue on because it's kind of a topic of conversation, that's a message you might want to download. But the principle is the same for us, which is regardless of the good or bad that was done from it, what if you and I organized our life around having more margin than we currently have? 20% might seem totally out of reach for you. Could you move from zero to two in your savings? When you come to financial giving, from zero to 1% giving, to God's priorities. Maybe Horizon's one of them. Maybe Horizon's one of many. But I want to be a little bit more giving. Could I get a little bit more margin in my energy? Can I have a little bit, just a little bit of free time by saying no to some things? But organize your life with a moving toward a 20% margin. Three, let's weigh what really matters. There's a part of the story I haven't really emphasized so far. What is that part? What's the part that really matters? The part that really makes a difference here that kind of stands out in the middle of this thing. God is speaking to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He doesn't believe in the Israel's God. This is the whole, this is the whole nation that ultimately they're going to need an exodus from, right? But look what it says. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. He reiterates it twice. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Time, energy, and money is important. But it's only important when you weigh what matters. I'm trying to trust my wisdom on time, energy, and money, and I've really worn myself out, or am I weighing what matters and I'm trusting God's wisdom on what matters? Because like I said, when you anchor yourself in God being the main point, you suddenly can look at these as simply resources. I'm not defined by how much I give. I'm not defined how much I spend. I'm not defined by how much I save. But it's wise to do it. Because I'm weighing, it's God's wisdom. It's wise to save some energy because, you know what, divorces are expensive and I got into this marriage because I love this person and we haven't had a date night in forever because we're all worn out all the time. And we haven't had any time to do it. I weigh what matters and say, God, I'm going to trust your wisdom in how I can have the freest life, the best kind of life. In fact, when God led the people out of Egypt, they'd been enslaved for 400 years. And you know what enslaved people don't have? margin your master never gives you margin you don't have any extra time if you're a slave you don't have any extra money if you're a slave so god said if you're going to be a free people you're going to have your own land i want you not to cut the corners of the land because free people can relax at times free people can rest at times and you and i claim to be from the freest nation in history and yet can we spend a day without looking at our email are we really free? Can we spend a day and actually relax to fill up our energy bucket? No, it's just too much going on. Are you really free? Do you have extra money left over? Have you committed to so many good things that's causing stress in your life? God says, weigh what matters. I got some wisdom for you that will make your life happier and freer. And so that you can not cut the corners of your life so that you don't end up cornered. I've got a friend of mine. He's uh, retired, had a very, very successful career. And he said, you know, my wife and I made some decisions. Most everybody we know have two or three houses, and that's fine. We, we love that. We love going there. We love the idea 
that we don't have to manage all that. We don't have to keep track of all that. We like the simplicity of having extra time with friends during the season of life. We like the simplicity of having money. We are far more generous, and we've been pretty generous. We are far more generous than we've ever been because we don't have so much money committed to so many things. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I want you to have a cow. I want you to experience the joy and the freedom with your money by counting on the good years and bad years, by organizing your life with some margin, and by weighing what really matters. Yeah, Stevie Martin, Steve Martin, um, Steve Martin, Steve, try that again. Brain freeze, Steve, Stevie Wonder, there it is, Stephen, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Too many things going on in my head. Stevie Wonder wrote this song called Living for the City. You know, he grew up very, very poor. And he had the opportunity to make incredible amounts of money. And like a lot of musicians, he ends up spending, you know, more than he made. But I think this song speaks to simplicity. It's about a very, very poor family who worked very, very hard. And they were able to live in the city without being overcome by the temptations of the city to always be living on the edge with no margin. So just listen to this song. Ask yourself, are you living for the city with contentment and freedom? Or are you living for the city feeling the pressure of always keeping up with the Joneses? Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know this isn't just about money management. It's about heart management. God, will you remind us that when you are at the center of our heart, you want our best. You don't want our money. You want our best. And you know that our heart is best when it's not anxious, when it's not fearful, when it's not overcommitted, when it's generous, when it's giving, and when it's serving. Help us to live for the city you've given to us without being obsessed with living and keeping up with the Joneses. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to continue our Cornered series next week, and we hope to see you then. Have a great afternoon.